From somewhere in Northeast Indiana, Mike Davidson lives. And now your host of the podcast, Mike Davidson. Well, yes, Mr. Rob Roop. Thank you very much. I am the aforementioned Mike, and I appreciate you hanging out with me here. Uh, recording this late Wednesday night again with the family all resting nice and snug in their respective beds. And uh, I'm a little caffeinated. Uh, before, before I go on too far, uh, three RIPs, man. Uh, you know, a couple days ago we were talking about the late, great Vince Scully and just how great he was with baseball. But uh, three known people. Uh, well, I, I would say two of them are pretty well known. The other one, uh, he was an influence. Uh, the first of which, uh, Roger E. Mosley passed away. I think he was like 83, uh, best known as TC from Magnum P.I. I used to watch reruns of that back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, he was basically Thomas Magnum's friend with the helicopter. If Magnum had to get someplace else on the island or islands, because, you know, it's Hawaii, TC was his guy. That or Rick or Higgins. That was a pretty core, uh, good core group, I thought. Uh, but uh, Roger Mosley no longer with us. R.I.P. to him. And uh, Olivia Newton-John sadly uh, succumbed to breast cancer. Fighting this for 30 years. Good fight. She died at the age of 73. And uh, I, everybody knows that she's best known. Not just for the pop music, but uh, her role in Greece. And I'm not a musical guy by any stretch of the imagination, but I have seen this movie without having seen it. And what I mean is I've never sat down and watched it. But the thing with Grease is, like, most women love this movie. And my mom and one of my sisters are in that category. And uh, even my brother Jacob loved that movie. So that movie got played quite a bit growing up on the VCR. Yes, that's how old I am, and so, like, without ever having to sit down and watch it, I know it, and it's a very iconic role, and uh, unfortunately, Olivia Newton-John no longer with us. Uh, the, now, the influential guy, you may not know too much about, but uh, the guy's had his hand in everything when it comes to martial arts, boxing, stunt work, you name it, Gene LaBelle, uh, he just passed away uh, earlier today, late 80s, uh, he, uh, he taught grappling moves to the likes of Chuck Norris, the late, great Bruce Lee, as well as Ronda Rousey. Uh, he, he just a uh, phenomenal, phenomenal dude. A lot of people singing his praises. He ran a wrestling promotion back in Los Angeles in the uh, 60s and 80s uh, where uh, Chavo Guerrero and the Guerrero family were the big dogs. And he gave his big break, uh, he gave a big break to an up-and-coming wrestler, kind of scrawny, by the name of Rowdy Roddy Piper. And Piper's thing, of course, was just talking shit to anybody. And he was really good at it. And um, Gene LaBelle and several people uh, recounted uh, the time uh, he played the Mexican national anthem on his bagpipes in front of a mostly Latino audience in Los Angeles. And I don't want to say any more than that. But uh, you talk about pissing off a crowd. Roddy Roddy Piper did that. And uh, Gene LaBelle, uh, just uh, an eye for talent and a talent himself, he will be greatly missed. Uh, now, I also wanted to kind of follow up. Well, before I follow up, oh, man, I got to brag up uh, Better Call Saul, the penultimate episode a few nights back on uh, AMC. Uh, 
yeah, the second to last, penultimate. That's what that means for those uh, keeping score. Uh, but I'm telling you, uh, Vince Gilligan and uh, Peter Gold, the, the showrunners, just knocking it out. Great writer's room. Uh, the first half of this episode was Kim-centric, what she's been up to since the fallouts of other things. And, of course, now Saul, Jimmy, Gene, whatever he's going by, is in deep crap. Uh, but uh, there was a really funny scene involving a cab. A very heartbreaking scene involving uh, Kim. Kim Wexler played by Rhea Seahorn. And then a tense scene uh, between Bob Odenkirk and Carol Burnett. Two two comedic actors, two comedic talents. Very tense scene, very well done. I don't want to spoil too much more than that because I because if you haven't seen it yet, you have to. Uh, but uh, the final episode coming up Monday, I can't wait. And... Uh, uh, and uh, I was Vince Gilligan was talking to somebody, and I'm gonna have to if I haven't already, I will link this up on the Mike Davidson Facebook page. But uh, he's talking about how he's got a show idea that he's pitching to five or six different networks. He says as of right now, he's uh, you know he's done over 120 hours worth of uh, uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico TV with uh, you know Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, and uh, El Camino. So you know he he's a little he's a little New Mexicoed out. No offense, New Mexico. Great setting. Uh, but I guess he was returning to his sci-fi roots. Because, as you know, uh, one of the shows that gave him his big break was X-Files. So he might be going that route. And uh, he's saying that this uh, this might be a grounded science fiction kind of show. So I'm very interested to see what happens. He, he's one of the better showrunners out there. Because some shows like to have the message. His stuff is tragic comedy. Uh, about flawed characters making bad choices, and it's it's uh, it's great television. It, not something you watch with the kids around. All right, now the follow up. Uh, talked about Spazgate a few nights back, and basically Beyonce got in trouble for saying that word in her uh, latest Renaissance album, and uh, the uh, the backlash from uh, the seventeen people on Twitter talking about how she was ableist and how she doesn't like the uh, the handicapped uh, because apparently this has its roots. And uh, cerebral palsy, and I, don't, and I, my thing was like, I don't think a lot of people realize that. And I, as much as I'll critique Beyonce, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt on that, because it's it's just not a word you think about. But she caved, uh, much like Lizzo did, same type of thing six months ago, and I didn't even hear about that. Uh, and they already changed it up quick at it because everything's on the cloud, and it never happened. Wink, wink. But uh, the follow up here is I. It kind of hit me after I recorded the podcast. Back at Ball State, I worked for a professor uh, who had four degrees, two of which were from Berkeley. And the only reason I know that is because he always told people he had four degrees and two of them came from Berkeley. He was really uh, up on that, maybe some other things. And he always got into tangents in class. I mean... If you're a professor, if you're a teacher, you think, okay, you teach the subject at hand. That's what most uh, reasonable teachers do. But uh, apparently, I, you know, enough medication, you start to think you're Robin Williams from Dead Poet Society, so he starts going off on stuff. And I don't know why the hell this came up. And you're going to be kind of uh, awestruck by this because this is kind of where things are going. Uh, he talked about how, all right, if you think something is lame or terrible there are two things you say well there's many things you could say but two of them are like oh man that sucks or 
oh man, that blows. And he, I remember him distinctly saying how that kind of came about uh, due to homophobia. Because, well, when two guys get together, yeah. Um, and I don't think a lot of people think about that anymore. It's just almost like kids just say, oh man, that sucks. Oh man, that blows. They're not supposed to say it. They don't understand it. We don't think about it. If something sucks, we're just like, God, that sucks. It doesn't mean we hate gay people, but, but I can see that kind of working its way into, uh, into the subconscious of uh, the uh, political social commentators out there. Not me. I'm kind of off the beaten path, but uh, it got me thinking. And there might be a whole host of words that I'm not thinking of, that you're not thinking of. That could be construed as, well, you're a hate monger here in about a year, two years, five years down the road. Who knows? Maybe me just bringing this up has planted the seeds amongst those who like to complain. It, aside from me, because I complain about the things that people who complain about won't complain about because they think it's good. I don't know. Uh, by the way, uh, the youth of America is pissed off at Metallica. And this has nothing to do with Napster this time. And if you're like me, uh, you pretty much dated yourself by referencing Napster. But uh, Metallica's been in the in the popular conscience for about four decades now. And I, I don't think those guys are in danger of ever, ever having trouble paying for a meal. Okay, I think James Hetfield, when I did the, uh, the uh, Net Worth of Musicians podcast, and I forget which episode that was, that was a while back, but James Hetfield is neck and neck with Robert Plant of Zeppelin. I mean, they're, they're both about $200 million a piece. So Hetfield's doing okay for himself. But, uh, you know, they kind of got a boost amongst the younger people with uh, Stranger Things because Eddie, uh, the, uh, the character, the breakthrough character of season four, uh, as kind of a distraction, uh, trying to get all these demons away from this this other demon house. He played Master of Puppets um, and jammed out. And, of course, Master of Puppets was playing. And all these kids were like, oh, man, that is so cool. And, and by the way, it, that song still sounds badass uh, compared to a lot of songs nowadays. Because, I mean, well, it's eight minutes long. It's basically Metal's version of Freebird. And, like, there are guitar solos and... It, it just sounds a lot better. It doesn't sound processed. Well, a lot of kids discovered Metallica because of this, and uh, and I kind of defended the younger fans from the gatekeepers, gatekeepers out there because nobody likes somebody who's too much of a snob because you're almost, you're almost like the preps you hated in high school. You're just preppy about something else. You're not about pop collars. You're about, you know, uh, jean jackets and uh, your wallet being on a chain. Well, uh, some some kids liked uh, Metallica. Now others are having the buyer's remorse because one kid who already bought uh, their uh, their Metallica T-shirt went on TikTok and was bitching and moaning about uh, how Metallica may have done some things in their past that's just not cool. Like uh, they were recounting, I guess, an incident. I don't think this is on tape. I think this is just hearsay, but. Uh, when Metallica was on tour with Guns N' Roses and Body Count, which is uh, Ice-T's uh, metal band, uh, Hetfield may have called Ice-T the N-word. Not cool, but uh, again, this is all hearsay and conjecture. And this was like effing 30 years ago. If I'm, 30 years ago, I think this summer, this year, yeah, 30 years ago. 
Uh, and I guess Jason Newstead, uh, during a performance, may have given the Nazi salute. I don't know if he was serious about that or not. I'm going to hope. I'm hoping he was joking about that. Um, but Newstead's no longer with the band, and so now you got these younger TikTok uh, viewers, uh, these people that don't understand that. Hey, when you're younger, you do stupid crap because these younger TikTok users are still young and they're doing stupid crap. They just don't know they're doing stupid crap. And uh, they're talking about how they're they're now ashamed of liking Metallica. Okay, yeah. Again, this is the very platform that has the Blackout Challenge and all these other challenges that uh, have kids ending up in hospitals or scarred. In the Blackout Challenge, a, a girl actually lost her life. This is kind of a, you know, I bet you won't do this type of thing. You do it for uh, the notoriety, the fame, but you don't do it because it's smart or there's any money involved. Yeah, these kids are the ones uh, just shame-shaming Hetfield and these guys for doing stupid stuff when they were younger. And, yeah, Metallica did some stuff back in the day that uh, they look back at and say to themselves, well, I'm, I'm glad I'm alive. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking of um, the the monologue a couple seasons back, uh, Saturday Night Live, Bill Burr had about how people were upset about uh, how John Wayne has an airport named after him. Uh, especially when in the 70s he did that infamous Playboy interview talking about minorities and whatnot. And uh, <laughs> Bill Burr goes, you're surprised he said this? The dude was born in 1912. You never talked to your grandparents? Yeah, you'd be amazed. Um, some of the things, uh, you know, the older people in your life have done and they're ashamed of, but... The reason they might be ashamed of that is because now they're adults and they know better. And they took it as a learning lesson. Um, and I know somebody uh, who told me this story about somebody they know. And this is decades ago. And I don't think this person's alive, but uh, this person was a kid. And this was back in the days of segregation in Jim Crow. And uh, she was a little girl at the time. And um, her, one of her older cousins, they were sitting on the fence, and uh, this black kid comes along, and he tells her to call him something not nice. And she was resisting it, resisting it. He goes, oh, come on, come on, come on. And, of course, uh, she gave to peer pressure, and she said it. And I guess, you know, this, you know, this in her last years, she was recounting it to this person that I know. And how much she regretted it. That, that's how the story goes. Like, you know, in your older years, you look back at some of the uh, the dumb things you did as a kid, and you're just like, man, I don't want to do that again. Maybe, just maybe, Metallic is on that, on that. okay? I don't know. Uh, but judgmental kids about adults, man, that gets... Um, unless the adult did something really bad, like murder or rape or theft or something like, Ten Commandments, bad. I, I really don't give a crap. It's in the past. Let it go. Go back and do a, a go on and do a bath salt challenge or whatever it is. Okay, um, the WNBA is a league that fascinates me, but for all the wrong reasons. Um, was it the Washington Mystics? They were out in LA. They got their uh, their butts handed to them, and uh, they were going to go fly back to DC, and they couldn't because their flight got canceled. 
and uh, for whatever reason, they had to spend the night in the airport. And you're like, well, why didn't the owners fly them back? Well, I don't know. I, I think uh, somebody was telling me that uh, the, whoever owns the New York team uh, tr uh, flew the team on a private jet once and got fined by the league for whatever reason. I mean, I don't have a problem with it uh, if... <laughs> If the owner is footing the bill and they want to spend that money, okay? Uh, but for whatever reason, the owner got fined. Maybe it was just not fair for the other teams. Um, so if that's the case, okay, I get it. But they're saying only the, the closest hotel nearby, only half of the players could stay in there because that was the availability. And I'm just thinking to myself, okay, there's no way that any of these players could pull their money together, get a ride to a hotel room, another hotel somewhere in town. It's Los Angeles, for crying out loud. There's hotels all over the damn place. Because uh, I'm sure they make enough money to, you know, do an Uber, mass Uber or a bus, and check out some hotel rooms, and then uh, next morning, you know, fly back out to D.C., keep the receipts, and have the owner comp them for it. That just seems like an ownership thing, but from what it sounds like, they're wanting more money so the players can have their own planes and stuff. I don't know if that's if that's the case. If you're using this as um, as a reason uh, to pump more money from the NBA, it, it's kind of kind of a bad one because the team, the league, uh, is in the red ten million dollars a year. So. It's, it's, I don't know, it's not getting a lot of sympathy for me because I keep thinking about the old job I had, the one that I loved up until, well, the bitter end, and how, like, I would sleep in crappy hotel rooms. I would sleep at st radio stations some nights. I would, you know, I, I lived on very little money because that was the vow of poverty you took when you went into that profession, and these ladies make more than I do uh, right now. Like, these ladies probably make more than my wife and I combined. And my wife and I are paying down car payments. We're paying down the house. We're feeding three young kids. You can't tell me you can spend a little money for a hotel room, maybe 20 miles away for the night, and then figure out the rest of the next day. I don't know. There's something up with that. There's something up with uh, Warner Brothers, too. Um because uh, Discovery, they now own them, and uh, you know, we talked. I talked a little bit at length about Batgirl getting canceled. They already shot the movie. Uh, it did piss poor test test screen wise with the uh, the test audience, so they scrapped it because I guess Discovery says we could save money by not releasing it. How bad is this uh, test screening? Of course, the test screening is kind of uh, buried. Uh, in paragraphs are not mentioned at all in these uh, Save the Batgirl movie uh, things. And I got kind of got on Kevin Smith for saying, well, it looks bad to cancel something with a Latina actress as the lead. Well, again, we don't know anything about it, Kevin. But I will agree with Kevin on this uh, before fanboys jump my crap too much about this. Because he's asking, well, if they're canceling Batgirl... Why the hell is uh, the Flash still a thing when Ezra Miller is a uh, is a miserable piece of crap uh, as a lead actor? First of all, I never thought this dude was Barry Allen, uh, and I'm speaking as a comic book nerd here. He's just he's too nebbish. He's too nebbish to be Barry Allen. Um, 
but he's got a whole host of problems with him right now. I mean, he's he uh, he attacked some people in Hawaii while doing karaoke. Uh, he is alleged to have a wife or a girlfriend and three kids uh, at his house in some weird cult-like thing. I don't know. And now uh, he is looking at felony theft charges in Vermont. This is the lead for a movie you've got coming out, the uh, the tent pull. This guy can't keep it together. Who's going to go see this movie? you got to ask yourself, who is going to go see this movie? He's done worse in my opinion, than Johnny Depp has. And Johnny Depp got kicked out of the Harry Potter uh, uh, prequel franchise. Disney canceled uh, their thing with him, with uh, maybe doing a Pirates of the Caribbean 13 or whatever sequel they're on right now. You know, Johnny Depp got rode out on a rail, and this dude's actually out there doing heinous crap, and the Flash movie is still a go, so to speak. Yeah, uh, I do agree with Kevin Smith. Why is that still a thing? But um, Discovery's kind of going on a canceling thing. HBO Max will be folded into something else by next year. HBO Max, that app that uh, a lot of people subscribe to, I'm sure I'm sure it's going to be like uh, HBO Discovery or Discovery HBO or something. Um, it's it's basically not going to exist anymore, not as it is now. And when Discovery took over, like, Warner Brothers and all this stuff, I'm just wondering how bad of a dumpster fire was that studio under uh, AT&T, AOL, Time Warner, whatever the umbrella was that owned them at the time. How much of a dumpster fire was that when you have everything from Looney Tunes to The Sopranos in your catalog? You got Harry Potter. Uh, you got Dirty Harry. You've got DC Comics. You've got Lethal Weapon. You've got it all, baby. I mean, you've you've got you can go toe to toe with Disney with the crap you have in terms of streaming, and you can't friggin' sell it. Unbelievable. Uh, you know, the the hope is maybe maybe Discovery knows a little more than the guys running it beforehand, but uh, that has yet to be seen. Uh, but that's just that's that's a dumpster fire I want to keep my eye on here in the coming months just to just to hear things and I want to hear more about this uh, this really terrible Batgirl test screening that nobody wants to talk about after it was broke huh um by the way I, one guy who has made movies I love and loathe is uh, Quentin Tarantino I still have not seen uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because. Uh, the Hateful Eight left a really bad taste in my mouth. But but you're not supposed to like the characters in the movie. Well, that's kind of the problem. I mean, damn, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing is a better Hateful Eight than The Hateful Eight. But Tarantino did make Reservoir Dogs. That's what got him out uh, in the public eye. And Pulp Fiction is just one of the greatest things ever to be put on film. And uh, Jackie Brown, very underrated. Uh, but uh, in a recent interview, he's talking about some movies uh, that he's he loves. He sang nothing but praises for Top Gun Maverick, which has actually surpassed Titanic in box office revenue stateside. So congratulations, Tom Cruise. But Tarantino's talked about uh, it was a level of spectacle he didn't think he was ever going to see again because there was a lot of actual stunts, not a lot of CGI in that movie. And I agree with Tarantino on that. Because, like... You, sometimes you watch these movies and it's like you know they're in front of a green screen. There's no element of danger or suspense. 
And I think a lot of it is a liability thing and a a cost-cutting thing. That's where the magic of movie making is lost is because now everything's done on a damn computer screen. But Tarantino talked about that, and he talked about Jaws. Steven Spielberg, uh, a filmmaker that that Tarantino reveres, a lot of people revere Spielberg, but he said that uh, Jaws is the greatest movie ever made. I don't know if it is. It's definitely a top five movie for me. If I was to rank my um, my five favorite films of all time, number one would be Pulp Fiction. Number two would be The Godfather. Three, Goodfellas. Four, Jaws. And number five, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Personally, Jaws is well done. Um, and it's uh, it, it has everything working for it. it. It's got probably one of the most underrated screenplays ever. Um. And uh, and I, I don't know if I talked about it during the podcast here or not. No, I think I was talking about this with my dad. I was talking about how like why I was watching Jaws two uh, passively on AMC a couple nights back, a couple weeks back, and uh, Jaws two just sounded stilted, and it didn't make any sense because uh, uh, both Roy Scheider and Lorraine Gary were in the first one. They were the husband and wife, you know, uh, you know. Chief Brody and his wife Ellen, they sounded so natural in that first one, but the the dialogue sounded so stilted. It's like, man, this is like made for TV crap. And then I did a little digging on the the director of Jaws two, and this dude has done a lot of TV films and TV episodes. But the dialogue in the first Jaws is great. The story's great. Uh, the cinematography is awesome. Shots are just framed so well. Editing's everything. The, the score's great. Spielberg really came into his own, and the acting's great, too. The only thing that did not work in Jaws, oddly enough, was the friggin' shark. Yes, 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 it kept breaking down, and it looked fake, but even for a fake shark, that still looks scary. You, you ever see, like, the, uh, uh, if you ever Google, like, uh, pictures of uh, behind-the-scenes Jaws, and you see Spielberg casually lounging in the mouth of that mechanical shark, it's it's quite something else, but... Again, it all goes back to uh, when things don't go your way, find a way to make it work, and voila, you got yourself a classic, and Jaws is definitely a classic. Tarantino is right on that. Hateful Eight still blows, though. All right, that's it for this episode. Until the next time, stay fresh, cheese bags. You've been listening to Mike Davidson Live. Be sure to check him out on social media. Like him at facebook.com backslash mdavidsonlives. Follow him on Twitter. Look for at Davidson Lives.